I'm Jason. I'm John. And I'm Marquis. And this is Just, Just Getting, Getting By. A free talk forum about the creative process and the wounds that hold us back from achieving our goals. Each week, building a roadmap through dialogue with working and struggling artists about how to better manifest a successful show business career. It's Jason. This week we spoke with Jack Moore. I met Jack 10 years ago at NYU through Mariela Mostov. He was one of the most brilliant minds that stands out right away and solidifies his ability to conquer any quest. One of those folks you say, wow, I can't wait to see what he does. And let me tell you, he has not disappointed. From a viral Twitter account to media outlets to writer's rooms on a span of television shows, he hasn't halted his momentum for a second since we met. I was aware of Jack's sexual preference as a bisexual male, but when we were talking about how to approach this interview, we decided not to bring up the topic unless he did first. I couldn't be more grateful that not only did he mention it, but he expounded upon his journey, grappling with that identity in a world that often rejects the very notion of its existence, and how it has and continues to impact his voice, a voice that has the privilege of being heard and influencing others to change their mind. He is funny eloquent and poignant. We had a lot of fun on this one. This is our interview with Jack Moore. How long have you been here in LA? Um, I moved here initially six years ago, but then the first two years I was here, I bounced between here and New York for like six months. I'm sorry. What brought you here? Uh, TV writing. I, um, I signed with an agent and he was like, hey, well, you got to move to L.A. if you want to do that. <laughs> so I packed up my life and left New York. And then uh, like six weeks later, was staffed on a show in New York. And so like, I had like the big going away party and all that. And then like six weeks later, was like calling a friend being like, so did you rent out my room? Like, <laughs> can I still get in there? What was that show? Uh, that show was called Us and Them, which was a... Uh, Never aired, which is a good sign, right? That means they love it. Um, that was it was an American remake of a British show called Gavin and Stacy. Uh, that's a very good show, um, and it had a great cast. It was uh, Jason Ritter and Alexis Bledel and Mike Lee and Black, and very fun. Uh, but yeah, never aired. Uh, so then was there was back in New York for six months. Show gets canceled. Fox doesn't air it. Um, moved back to LA and then six months later was staffed on another show in New York. And so that's how I didn't intend on being bi-coastal for the first two years I was here, but I just, those were the jobs I got. So Mm -hmm. I just kept going back to New York. How did that feel like being pulled back to where you had just, I mean, it was great. I love New York so much. Mm -hmm. You know, I have Empire State Building tattooed on my arm. Um, So I, I didn't mind it. It was nice it was nice to be able to go back to New York, but it made LA hard. Cause it was like, every time I felt like I was getting a, you know, a base or like a, Oh, I'm finally settling in. And you know, I would get a job and leave. <laughs> so right. it wasn't until I would say like year three or four here that I was finally like, Oh, I like LA. LA is great. Um, right. And now I love it, but it, uh, it was definitely a, a rough go. It's different than New York. So different. So it's like living here now. I do. I still miss New York, but I would say that it's like, it's like LA is, 
LA is just nice. Like, <laughs> all right. So New York, LA is nice, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not great. And New York is great, but it's not nice. You know, like I, I, I just I feel like in New York the quality of life is very low, but like I'm addicted to that low quality of life when I'm there, and I like. I love how grimy it is. And I love the energy of it. I love how stressful it is. And then uh, I feel like I'm a part of something bigger, but it's like bad for me uh-huh. <laughs> in some way. Like you feel like you're a part of like this, like ma- everybody's chasing their dreams here. And it's, you know, it's not just entertainment. It's like the best lawyers in the country and the best doctors in the country and the mm-hmm. best evil finance people in the country are <laughs> evil and financial in New York. Um, and then in LA, you don't feel that sense of a greater, you don't feel like you're a part of some, like, you know how everybody's always like on shows that are set in New York? Like, well, you know, New York is really the fifth girl on Sex in the City <laughs> or whatever. It's like, right. New York's like basically a character on our show. <laughs> sure. Um Nobody says that about L.A. It's like L.A. is actually a character. No, like there's no character. L.A. is just like a place. Mm -hmm. But it's a really, really nice place. And like the quality of life is just so you're relaxed. And I mean, you get stressed in the car, but it's uh, it's just easier. Um, yeah, I used to feel though when I was watching like Saved by the Bell as a kid and growing up in Boston that like LA kind of was a character <laughs> on that true. show. That's like, fair. That's fair. Ba- or like I, or Prince, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, like LA sure. or Clueless. Like LA was a well, character. Well, Clueless, in LA those. is definitely a character. <laughs> yeah. but, but the thing is, it's not even that like LA is a character in any of those things. It's more so of that relaxation that like free kind of lifestyle that is embodied in all of those characters in those shows so it makes LA feel like a character because it's that same thing of him moving here and feeling like oh it's an easier quality of life that's what happens on Fresh Prince it was like the quality of life in Philadelphia was raggedy and then in LA it was like oh this is glamour (laughs) (laughs) that's what's so funny about that's why it's funny you said Clueless because I weirdly think Clueless actually is one of the like Clueless and um and like pretty woman, like there are a few things mm-hmm. where it feels like they real like clueless the way they treat like going to the valley and like that really does feel say, yeah. LA yeah. as a character. Whereas I do think in a lot of the other things, it's like LA is the generic nice, right? Where mm-hmm. it's just like you know the sun is there, because like, <laughs> even like Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero, like now having spent time in Beverly Hills. I don't feel like Beverly Hills. It just feels right. like the most beautiful place to live. Like, um, right. it doesn't feel like the character of Beverly Hills. Whereas right. I do think Clueless like nails something <laughs> deep and true about LA. Right. <laughs> or like Sunset Boulevard, even though it's a movie that like actually could take place in a lot of different places. Um, beyond like just like the history of Hollywood, like of course she's an old film star, so she'd be in LA. But like, I actually feel like there's something in the DNA of Sunset Boulevard that feels uniquely LA, where it's like there's a sadness mixed with pretty facades and like I don't know. Um, but New York is an easier character because it's yeah. just like you know it's grimy and ambitious. Yeah, <laughs> it's like how 
on Dear White People, the yes. Ivy League, the East Coast old Ivy League, yes. whether it's Harvard or Yale or whatever it is. It's just, person. it's a whole milieu that you're just uh-huh. like, I get it. I know right, I, yeah. I know what those uh, people right. are like. Them. I know. I understand uh, that archetype. Yes, like, exactly. It uh-huh. really, uh, yeah, I do think that's, that's true. It really, any good piece of writing with a location should feel like something of a place or something like a, a character in it. Um, right. But, uh, so before yeah. New York, where were you? Cleveland originally, born and raised. Um, from Ohio too. Oh, where about? From Columbus. Oh, where yeah. about? Um, Grove City. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I very, know. very white, very I know, I know like my upper middle class. <laughs> my dad went to Waterson. Oh, um, so I, I know my Columbus. Um, I yeah, so from Cleveland, and you know the classic closeted Catholic uh, self hatred all boys school, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Uh, theater kid, which all adds up to like, I need to get to New York as soon as humanly possible. Right. Uh-huh. Um, which of course now I feel some sort of way about because it's like, Oh, maybe the reason these places stay cruel to people like us is that we leave them. Right. Um, and like, don't force them to change. But then it's like, are we allowed to be happy? <laughs> do we have to? Do we have to shoulder that? Well, um, no, because you move out here, you make the content that hopefully um, <laughs> enters the screens in those cities and, and mm-hmm. towns. And over time, we hope we're doing our part. Yes, right. I think that's true. Isn't that isn't that the responsibility responsibility of our generation right now? To well, to I think do it's that? certainly our generation as artists. Yeah, that's our responsibility. Right, as I think, creators. I think I do. Feel, you know, I, I'm working on a show um, with this wonderful lesbian uh, uh, documentarian. Uh, it's based on her documentary. Um, and it's about a group of, in San Francisco, there's this, uh, really all over the world now, but there's this uh, order of drag queen nuns called uh, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. I love it. So I'm making a, I'm doing a show for TNT about the sisters and specifically one a order. docu show. No, no, no. It's a, a narrative series based on a documentary um, about one order of the nuns uh, that was formed in, uh, in Guerneville, California. This very like red neck. I say that coming from rednecky parts of Ohio. <laughs> um, <allowed>. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but this like rednecky part of California, that's like, you know, Trump country, whatever. And that one of the, sisters had left there when they were you know 17 run away you know homeless san francisco found the sisters found community and then at some point you know the fire it was like a place where the fires hit really hard and the economy crashed and like all of this uh stuff and at one point we decided like i want to start i want to go home and his sister had a baby um but it was like i want to go home and like do this there it was like a big controversy among the sisters being like well why they have, why are we helping those people those people there's a reason we ran away from them like we help the people that run away from those people mm-hmm. and the response was like well if that's you know if that's the logic then it'll never change and working on this project uh me and uh the director drew denny uh who did the documentary have been like really uh, exhuming a lot of our guilt about leaving the places where it's like, oh, our, you know, she's from Texas. 
I'm from outside of Cleveland, and there's this sense of like, you know, the people we grew up with certainly would not co-sign our lifestyles now and wouldn't co-sign, you know, our our lives, but it's like maybe if we had stayed and stayed in their lives, you know, it's that thing where it's like the the greatest uh the greatest uh factor in during the gay marriage fight and changing people's opinions was like knowing a gay person. Mm-hmm. Dick Cheney. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And it's like, if Dick Cheney, the monster of all monsters is an example <laughs> of this, you know? Um, and so, you know what there's some, and also it's because again, Catholic, I find guilt in everything, but <laughs> the guilt of like, Oh, well maybe who are all the people that are, who would have known me? And especially as a bisexual, like bisexual men and certainly out bisexual men are very rare. You know, I, I, for a long time, I was the only one I knew and I, you know, or at least the only out bisexual man I I knew. And I would say that like, you know, I don't know any other bisexual men, but I've slept with a lot of straight guys. Like, you know, and like, it's certainly a feeling that maybe, you know, modeling behavior for an audience that might otherwise not be receptive to it it would change them in some way um but that said i'm trying to make art about that so and tnt is a good outlet too tnt is a great place for that we're in the pilot stage right now but tnt is a great place for that because they you know it's a really it's a cross-section of america watches you know and they have basketball and they have you know sports so there's a sense of Mm -hmm. like you know viewership from many viewership from many demographics and not just from you know not just from like preaching to the choir um before you went to nyu what did you think you would be doing and and what did i can't even remember what did you study there uh i study so i was in gallatin which is the like i know know you guys know um for the audience (laughs) Uh, is the Make Your Own Major program at NYU. It's f- famous for being kind of bullshit. Oh, right. People had majors in happiness. Exactly. Famous oh, for... Oh, love a happiness major. Yeah, sure. L- literally today in, in a writer's room that I'm working in, somebody was talking about Gallatin and was like, um, I had a friend who was majoring in nightlife. <laughs> and they were just out every night till seven in the morning. And I was like... Went to the right that? school I know. for more than one reason. I know, for real. Right. And so... Uh, I majored, I went to the fake, the fake school, uh, but I majored in uh, playwriting and political speech writing. So it was actually, I think oh, the actual, that's amazing. The actual so title was like the theatricality of politics. You were, yeah. you were really inspired by the West Wing, obviously. I literally <laughs> watched the West Wing and was like, I either want to be Aaron Sorkin or Sam Seaborn. Like, I don't know which. Um, but yes, I was very inspired by the West Wing. That was a, uh, I have what's next tattooed on my arm. Yes. Uh, so I... The West Wing was a big, a big thing uh, for me. And yeah, so I studied, went to New York, studied that, got into all sorts of shenanigans, um, and then just kept writing one day, you know, for so long, you're just wanting people to read it and nobody matters wants to read (laughs) read anything. And I had a bunch of weird jobs and eventually ended up, um, uh, eventually ended up doing, uh, like falling into the media world. Um, I worked at like Buzzfeed early on in its history. I think that was the last time I saw you. I think so. Probably. Yep. You were working at Buzzfeed and, uh, I was working at Buzzfeed. What were you covering there? Uh, sports and politics. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then I 
was just still writing and doing everything I could, had producing plays, you know, uh, just everything I could to get someone to pay attention to the scripts I had written, but nobody cared. And then I created a Twitter account, uh, which went with a friend of mine that went viral. And because the world is stupid, suddenly agents were like, hey, do you have scripts? And I was like, check your spam folders. But then signed and have been doing this. Uh, ever a, since. There was a that's Jeopardy amazing. answer. It was that a Jeopardy one. answer. Yes. Now so that's now, a moment. Right? Yes, I have it on a mug. I was going to say, I, I hope that it's printed and like framed. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, even better, a mug. Yes. Yeah, so the, it was modern Seinfeld. So it was like, what if Seinfeld were still on the air? What will? It was back when Twitter was fun and not like uh, two minutes rage from uh, from uh, nineteen eighty four. Yeah. But you were basically pitching like log lines for episodes, for episodes of, of TV of Seinfeld in 2012. So it's like, what would you be, what you would be doing in a writer's room? You're basically airing this on Twitter, showing the world. This is what I, these are the ideas I can bring to the table. Yes. It was a very good audition tape, so, uh, even if it wasn't intended as one. It was, that was not the goal of it. Just, it was, you know, just it's not still That's happening, is it? No, no, no. Okay, so I was just thinking of one where like Elaine tries to write for the new Murphy Brown. <laughs> ah, see, that would be, I, you know, that would that would be great. I love the episode where she writes for Murphy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, yeah, I, re- re- me and Josh Gondelman, who who uh, co-created, who now writes for, uh, he wrote for John Oliver for years, now, and now writes for uh, Deezus and Miro. Um, uh, we have long since let it go which has been great just to i think we both you know for a minute that's what people know you as like oh you're the twitter guy mm-hmm. and then now it's been years and you we both have like bodies of work that aren't that and it's nice to not be getting jobs based on that anymore and you know now it's based on your actual work <laughs> what is your family life like um my family life I had a rough go of it with my parents and stuff back in the day, but we're good now. It's, um, they handled my coming out pretty well. Like as they, I wouldn't say they were like, how old were you when you came out? So I, I came out to everybody, but them years and years. And I was like probably 21, 22 when I started the coming out process and was by the time I was 23, I was out to most people in my life. Um, and I didn't come out to my parents until 20, let's see, I'm 31 now, so probably like 28. Um, so only within the last few years. And I think a lot of it was because you have, as like, so the ups and downs of bisexuality, you have passing privilege, especially if you're in a relationship with a woman. And so for a long time, I had this sense of like, well, why would I, I wouldn't call my parents to be like, hey, guess who I'm fucking. <laughs> um, and, but then at some point to the point earlier about modeling behavior, I just felt like I, you know, you kind of got to be about it. And, uh, and I was about it in every other aspect of my life and, you know, jobs and professionally and friends and everybody, but just not. In that one area. You felt a bit of a responsibility yeah. being a creator and um and I don't mean to use this term influencer like like you're you're getting paid to model um lip gloss yes, or anything. Which, hey, I would do it. Sure. Um who wouldn't? Um <laughs> but 
you know, you felt a responsibility to let people know that this happens and it exists and it's fine. And because it's rare. So um, people that are maybe curious may not lean into that curiosity unless they see it modeled somewhere. Because even even as as a a gay guy, you know, I'm sometimes I'm like, but is it real? Like, like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm well, like, yeah, I have to have an uh, inner monologue with myself. And that's something that I, you know, I, I wrote something about, I wrote a show about being bisexual that got pretty deep in development uh, before being unceremoniously killed. Um, but, you know, multiple scripts and a big network and the whole, whole deal. And it looked really good, but it was, uh, I was doing it with Justin Simeon, who created and directs a lot of Dear White People and who's one of my good friends now, and he, uh, you know, is a very out and proud gay man, and we, part of our pitch was always that Justin would say that, like, until I met, until he met me for Dear White People, he didn't believe bisexual guys were real. And he was <laughs> like, and I, in kind, responded that that's super, comp- like, weirdly straight dudes handle it the best. Like, Gay dudes are awful to me, uh-huh. uh, not across the board, but often gay dudes would be awful to me and straight women would be awful to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, because gay dudes, so many of them said they were bisexual uh, on the way to right. being gay. And so the, the response often was like, oh, Stone. honey, right. you'll figure it out. And <laughs> it's just like, no, God damn it, I figured it out. Um, but there was a sense that it's like, that's not real. You're being... So yeah, they're thinking, there. like when I was 17, yeah. I would say I was bisexual too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or the other side of it would be to be fetishized, where it would be like, oh, I can live out my turning a straight guy fantasies. Oh. They're like, oh, uh, you're closeted, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 I can work with that. And I had done like some sex work in college to pay the bills and stuff. And that was definitely like, you know, there's that d- the dual sides of being fetishized where you're like, sometimes I want to employ this and want to use it. And this is a sales pitch. And sometimes uh, you're just like, just believe me when I say. Yeah. Um, And uh, and then straight women often are like, oh, I don't want to have another gay (laughs) (laughs) ex-boyfriend. Like they start to feel very, some kind of way about it. You're in a relationship now? I'm in a relationship with a woman. Um, who is lovely. We've been together for many years. It's, uh, uh, which even that feels sometimes complicated to talk about just because, uh, you know, there are times where you're like, well, if I'm in a relationship with a woman, am I denying some queer part of myself? Um, but we're, we have an interesting relationship. She's pretty traditional. I'm very not traditional in a lot of ways. Um, I'm definitely more polyamorous and, which she's known from the beginning and she is more monogamous. And so we kind of take turns sacrificing for the other person based on how our relationship's going, which weirdly has been great. It's funny because for a a long time, I was like, this is so frustrating. It'd be so much easier to just find somebody who was the exact same as me about this stuff. But it's kind of wonderful because it's, it feels like life in that like you have to be comfortable in comfortable with constant change. And so the idea that there is no, it's always going to be a moving target in any relationship. It's going to be a moving target about like satisfying each other's needs in any way that could mean. And so 
you know, there are times where we, I put on my house husband, white picket fence, and, you know, six months, eight months at a time where it's just like, just us, this is what we're doing. Um, and then there are times where she kind of, and she doesn't want to know about it when it happened, but like, there are times where she's just like, okay, like, I get that that's not who you are, so go have fun. And, uh, and you know, like, in a weird way, like, I think has brought us closer together. Like, I think our relationship is stronger than it's ever been. We bought a house this year. Oh, that's incredible. Um, which, uh, you know, we're not, I don't know that marriage is something that, you know, not like, I would never marry her. If I was going to do it, I would marry her. But mm-hmm. I just, I don't know how I feel about marriage in general. But, you know. We we brought a contract into it when we when we bought a house together. So <laughs> yeah, um, so it's definitely you know as good as it could could be or is uh, or has been. I guess I should say. Um, but yeah, there's even I deal with kind of an internalized like I don't want to say homophobia. No, it's it's almost a heterophobia where it's like am I am I denying like am I recloseting myself in some way? And then it's like, well, no, that's not what bisexuality is. Like it's all about, and truly like, I don't, sorry, I'm rambling right now about this, but it's just an itch. uh, um, I love it. But bisexuality is even itself. I feel complicated about the term. I've dated trans women and trans men and non-binary folks. And, you know, uh, I'm attracted to and, and slept with and would be with anybody. So like, in some ways, pansexual is probably the more accurate term. Mm-hmm. But you get tired of every time someone asks <laughs> about your sexuality giving a lecture. Yeah. And so it's easiest for me to often just be like, bisexual. Whatever you have in your head, that's probably the closest we can get without this conversation. Going right. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point, it starts to be like, got to build a community. <laughs> so you you pick a broad one and then you, you figure it out. Uh yeah. Do you think it's po- a possibility to sneak those characters and those storylines into the shows that you're working on? Absolutely. Absolutely. And not even sneak. I think it's something that like when I get staffed on a show, I'm usually talking about in my meetings. Yeah. I'm usually talking about, if not like, I think this character should be bi or this character should be, um, but just where I'm, I'm talking about my life and my stories and the stuff I've gone through and, what I think is interesting and those, you know, and, and usually if I get the job, that means they responded to that in some way. I mean, and dear white people, you know, one of my great uh, regrets about dear white people is there is a scene in season one of the show where uh, Lionel has a threesome with a couple, a man and a woman. He's kind of figuring out his sexuality and he, Lionel is very dismissive of the idea that the guy could be anything but gay. And it was never intended to be a denial of bisexuality. It was intended to be a very truthful representation of what that character would think. Right. But the difference between a character having an opinion and a sh- and the show having that opinion can be stark. It's a fine line. It's a fine line and it's it's tough to do and it's a, it's a it's a fine line and it's something I struggle with because there are times where I'm like, well the sh- it's you want to depict reality. You don't want, not, not everything is a morality play. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you gotta be careful with how your things are received. And there was some pushback from the bi community who, who online, uh, who I don't think realized that I, I mean, 
you know, I'm not famous. So it's not like they were like, well, there's a, a notably bisexual person <laughs> on staff. Um, and so this season we're dealing with, uh, the season that has not yet aired, but that will air later this summer, early this fall. Um, that's all shot. That's going to be really good. I think it, uh, there was a whole plan to bring back that character that we see. And actually there is a moment in season one that we intended where you see that character with the girl that he was with and with a boy together. And there's the implication was that Lionel was not correct, but you know, it's the type of thing where it's like, well, if somebody didn't catch that, is that on them or is that on us? Like, right. um, but this year I, I really pushed to bring that character back um, in a, there's a scene that takes place at like a gay sex party. And I guess spoilers for stuff that has, has not even been, there's no premiere date yet, but <laughs> there's a scene at a gay sex party and Lionel sees him at the gay sex party and is like, Oh, congrats. You finally, you know, this actually isn't, it, it, well, as you'll find out in a second. So the, the script was, Oh, congrats. You finally like came out, like moved on from Becca. And, uh, and the guy is like getting a blowjob at the time. And he's like, you know, how dare you buy a racer. We're actually getting married next month at the Cape and buy a racer is a really big pro, pro, pro <laughs> problem in our community was what I was going to say. And the guy wouldn't come back though. He was like, I don't want to play that, that part again. Uh, and this didn't get shot. This so that did that, the scene exists, but that exchange had to get cut because we couldn't, I'm like, heartbroken over. I am too Literally because I was insane. like, it was my favorite. It was one of my favorite jokes of the season. And talk about pulling from Run your my, inner life. I, I mean, how wonderful for that to come full circle in this just in this uh, forty-five minutes that we're having. Um, that that's mesmerizing and so heartbreaking. I know, and I was so sad. And when we at like, and I never got clarity whether it was specifically he didn't want to play a bisexual character again or if he was like you know or or that he was okay playing a gay character and not okay playing a bi character or whether it was just like he didn't want to do a sex scene so like but he's done two sex scenes on the show so or one sex scene on the show already so it's like i don't right i don't want to i don't want to read into anybody's you know i don't know him i don't know his life so like that's fine but there was a certain part of me that's like God, it's hard to get this stuff in. Like, I'm I'm in a privileged position in this case where it's a show that's been on for multiple years that I am very heavily involved in the big picture creative decisions. And Justin and I are very close. And we're, you know, we the staff has been the same all three seasons. So, like, we're all, it's very small. So we all have big input. Um, and even in this case where it's like, I have a pretty direct line. There's still things that get in the way of telling sometimes these stories that you want to tell. Um, it's, uh, excuse me, uh, seltzer water. Uh, it's complicated was what I was going to say. <laughs> no, I feel like that is such a thing, just getting that kind of storyline into TV because I've only seen it done primarily with female characters. Yeah. And it's rare that I see a male character on TV where they talk about bisexuality in the slightest. And when it is, it's usually played for a joke. It's usually the old, like, oh, he doesn't realize he's gay. And right. like the show feels very, like in the, and admittedly in the same way we kind of played it, not for, we were trying to comment on something in season one. I think we didn't nail it as much as I would have liked to, 
um, or as much as and not that not that everybody else on the staff was like, it's perfect. What are you talking about? Like we, I think we all kind of felt like, okay, that wasn't the intended. Uh, the intention wasn't to co-sign this belief. Um, but it is very hard. I mean, that idea that it's different for women. I'll just tell a quick story. I was in New York. You know, I was in New York for many years. And at one point, this is like in 2011, I was on a date with a woman. It was like our third date. We're at, uh, it's our third date. It's going really well. We're on the third location of the evening. So it's like really going well. And we're at uh, Bushwick Country Club, which I don't know if you guys remember. Oh, um, we lived around the corner from there. I know. Very terrible uh, slash great bar in uh, like the edge of Williamsburg. And uh, so we're there and we're having this nice conversation in the corner and she gets very serious and she's just like you know i really like you jack and i was like i like you too and she's like but i feel like i have to tell you something and i was like okay and she's like i don't really know how to say this but for some reason i feel okay talking to you about it um there is uh, a girl at work that i i kind of think i have a crush on and i i don't really know what to do with that and at this point i wasn't really like i was out too friends to close friends as I don't think I even had the language of being like I'm definitely bisexual I think it was just like that Jack he's out there he's in these <laughs> streets like that, you know uh, and so like and she's like I, I just don't know like I definitely like guys but like I have this crush and I just don't know what I should do about it because I think she feels the same way and I and I felt like the clouds were parting. I was like, this is ideal, you know? Like, this is exactly what I would want to hear. This is as smooth a way for me to talk about this with somebody that I want to date as I could. And so I was like, well, look, like, I think you have to give it a shot. Like, don't die wondering. Um, I know it's hard, but, like, I, I think you'll only regret it if you don't. And you know, I, I like you too, and I'll be here for you. Um, and if you need distance while you figure it out, that's cool too. Like whatever you need, I, I'm here for you. And I, it seemed to be being received well and from her. And then I was just like, just trust me. I've been there. And she's like, hold on. What do you mean? Trust you? I know what you're going through. And she's like, well, what do you mean? You know what I'm going through? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of uh you know <laughs> bye and she's like whoa so you've had a penis inside you and i was like yeah like i'm your mouth has been on a penis and i was like i mean it's putting fine point on it but <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and she loudly and this is bushwick country club oh my god like williamsburg brooklyn she's like very loudly make a scene loud I was like oh so you're a faggot oh And I was that the and sound like, and this date is over. The sound that Jason just made is the sound that I made. I was so shocked. Oh my god! Uh, because I'd been, I mean, as I'm sure we all like, I'd been called that many times, but never in the context of somebody else coming out to me. Yeah. Like, and, and so I, I was like, but you just said and she's like, it's different for girls. Everybody oh. knows that. See, it's funny because there's. There's actually a um, scene that kind of happened like that on the spinoff of ABC's um, Blackish. So they Ooh. they have the spinoff Grownish, and the main character, her friend or her roommate, 
is by and she goes on a date with a guy they hook up whatever whatever and then she sees him with a guy a couple of days later and she has this whole inner conflict and then she says something to him and it's really messy but the episode essentially is touching base on like that double standard but i still don't know if it actually hit it insecure did it too oh yeah yeah Yeah, well yeah and insecure but i feel like and i love insecure I feel like Insecure lands on the wrong side of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they do. Uh-huh. They like, I feel like yeah. Insecure is like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's yeah, kind of gross. Yeah, because Molly is very like, oh, no, girl. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> but I, um, so this happened and I felt so cr- crazy about it. I was like, I don't, don't understand this. And I got a call from her the next day. And I was like, you know what? We were very drunk. She was being vulnerable. I say all this to be like, that's why I answered the phone. Because I was like, I bet she's calling to apologize. And instead she was calling to say, I talked to my dad and my brother and they agree. You're definitely a faggot. (laughs) And what's crazy is I now have empathy for her because she is married to a woman and like very happily and and a lesbian, like not bisexual at all, like a lesbian Um, and a butch at that. Like she is transformed. (laughs) And... It becomes so clear that in hindsight it's internalized homophobia mm-hmm. turned outward. And then going to her dad and her brother is so clearly like a test balloon for her own eventual coming out. And then like when that doesn't go well, taking it out on me. Yes. And, uh, you know, it doesn't forgive that moment. And it, But at the same time, it's like, okay, we all, we all get messy when we're dealing with emotional stuff. And especially mm-hmm. around, you know, personal intimate issues like this. But it's... Yeah. It's definitely something I have found more often than not uh, people really struggle to wrap their head around. How often do you get to bring your upbringing uh, and being from Ohio into the writer's room? A good amount. I would say that it's, I mean, it's hard to separate it because so much of my upbringing in my mind is like repression and uh, things that are so baked into any relationship story I tell or any um you know, or even like socioeconomic, you know, like not having, you know, we weren't super well off when I was a kid. And so like, you know, I, I feel like I'm often in a room to, trying to talk about like, okay, but how does this character afford this? Like, can we like make story out of it at least? And like, um, which often we do, you know, like that's definitely something that on, on some shows I've been on, we've, we've done a show that I'm working on right now. Um, that I'm, I'm staffed on. I definitely think like we're doing that. And I think that's really exciting. Um, but it is a, I don't know. It's hard not to bring your history, whatever it is into the room on everything. And when I feel like it's always a bad situation when you have a boss who's like enough of that, like Mm. (laughs) we don't really want, you know, we don't want to know you're good. Like Mm -hmm. it feels like if it's not a safe space for everybody's stories, it means it's, it's probably not going to be a good show. Have you had challenges like that throughout your career or are they more rare? Um, I've been pretty lucky. I've been on, I've on almost every show I've been on. I have been, it has been at least half women. Um, it has been, you know, at times I would say that on almost every show I've been on, there has not been a case of like, the token gay person or the token mm-hmm. black person or the token, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's always been a, 
I've been very lucky in that way. That said, I have been on a couple shows where it's like, ah, this is a bunch of old white guys. Um, but for the most part, I've been I've been very lucky. And I think that the industry is like, look, it's all anecdotal. So do I think there are a bunch of shows where it's like 12 white guys and then like one other pick from a bunch of buckets like person to be like the what's it like to not be a rich white guy <laughs> yeah like i definitely think that still exists i'm just saying i have been i have been lucky i mean like in dear white people we have i'm the only white person like i'm it's we have an iranian woman three black women two black gay men an asian gay man <laughs> like it's perspective it, it's very like not i mean it's a very queer room we don't have any straight dudes <laughs> like yeah honestly that's the the thing we've talked about most often about the writer's room is like at some point we need a straight guy <laughs> like we need somebody to make sure you know like yeah, it's, the first it's like is this yeah. accurate yeah, exactly where it's like yeah it was i become the voice of straight guys it's like well when i was pretending to be straight yeah. like, i feel like this is what i would have said um but yeah it's it, you know i've been i have been lucky in that way but it's definitely it's a it's a work in progress this this Hollywood of ours. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? Like when you started Modern Seinfeld, were you thinking, oh, agents might see this and this would be like oh. my way, my route in? Or was that just you having fun? Lucky. I, I was having fun. Having I, fun. I, but I knew I wanted to be a writer before that. It's just I wasn't thinking. I had ideas mm. for like, ooh, I'll do this thing and that'll be eye grabby and I'll break in and were you auditioning too? Like, did you still were you still pursuing being an actor? No, I was mostly just. I mean, I did some stand up, mm-hmm. um, but I was pretty focused on writing. Like, even from, you know, all, any acting stuff I did was always kind of for fun or like in service of trying to write. Um, and I, from the time I was in high school, I really knew I wanted to. Even from the time I was very little, I knew I had to be a writer. But from the time I was in high school, I knew I wanted to write scripts. Whether those were plays or movies or TV shows, I knew that's what I wanted. You know, you know it's L.A., so we get some sirens, we get some helicopters, <laughs> right. some ambiance. Some, right. Some room noise. Auditory landscape. I completely forgot about the, the roaring sirens of 8.30 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in- L.A., a wild town. Do you have a role model? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I do, but in different. I don't have anybody who is the be all end all. I don't have anybody like. I don't have anybody who, who's. But like, I, I admire like a lot of my friends. Like Justin Simeon, I think is like one of the true. I think he's so brilliant. His new movie is going to be so good. I, it's so. I I just saw an early screening of it. It's great. Um. I just admire the way his mind works and I'm so lucky that I've gotten to, I was a fan of his before I got to work with him and certainly before I got to be his friend. And so that's been really wonderful. Um, I really admire a lot. Of, I mean, like uh, I'll just go down some people, Sam Bailey, who's this brilliant writer director. She did the Brown girls web series. Um, and now has, uh, she directed it to some dear white people. she, directed some grown-ish um and she's working on a movie right now she she's just like a brilliant shining light that's like oh you're gonna make such i mean she's also done like amazing music videos for jamila woods and chance the rapper and like she's just a, a badass lover <laughs> um 
And yeah, you know, I, I really, I admire people who work a lot. I admire, I'm a big believer in like, an object in motion stays in motion. And sometimes that means you're working on things that you don't think are the best thing. I've definitely worked on shows that were jobs and I've worked on shows that were passions. Mm -hmm. And I think that the ones that are jobs are some of the best learning experiences I've had. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way where the work didn't matter. I think the work does matter, but I think that's one of the things you learn is that if you don't have the desire to just like do the work, no matter what that work is, when you get the chance to do the passion thing, you're not going to have the tools to make it what you want to be. Like in the Ira Glass sort of like your taste, you're a fan of something. And so then you want to make that thing and your taste is better than your ability. And all being an artist is, is trying to close the gap between your taste and your, your ability and your taste. I love that. Right. Um, I feel like, uh, like it's, a lot of times the shows where I go into it being like, this is a job. I don't love this. I'm not passionate about this as like an artist. Um, but then I end up having these amazing experiences and meeting these wonderful people and really like honing the craft in a way that is not, again, not to dismiss those as works because they're somebody's passion. Um, but to just, I don't know, to find your passion, whatever that thing is, to I think is such an amazing thing. And I, I've worked with so many amazing people. Really, any showrunner I've worked with has been somebody who I admire in this kind of fit of passion. I'm working with some people right now. Um, Bridget Bedard, uh, who co-show ran Transparent uh, with, with Jill Soloway and is just such a, like, the way her brain works is so wonderful and uh it, it's just like it's you're constantly meeting people which is like mm-hmm. honestly if there's somebody that i don't know that i'm like role model right now it's it's uh phoebe waller bridge which is like and such a cliche answer but she mm-hmm. is flea fleabag i just watched fleabag season two and uh i saw her do fleabag in new york earlier this year uh as a one woman show the one woman show at soho playhouse and she I truly think she is just like so next level genius. And I specifically admire her work ethic uh, to have like four shows going at once. Yeah. <laughs> it seems impossible. Yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I saw on Instagram recently where you were at a Scientology production. <laughs> that was, yes, yes, yes. That was a, that was a bit. I, uh, I was doing a bit. I, okay. um, I was trolling some of my friends who I love so much, but you know, there's a, a there's a brand of Instagram posts that you see a lot in LA, which is the like picture of the Warner Brothers water tower, and it's just like, God, I can't believe I get to do this. We're so blessed. Hashtag lot life. Hashtag you know fun Set stuff life. on the horizon like you know <laughs> coming whatever soon. coming soon watch this space you know yeah. all that stuff and i love like anybody who does that who's listening to who this, says who watch friends, this space besides rachel maddow though that's true but uh, you know rachel if you're listening i'm trolling you a little too um, <laughs> but uh but so there's a i used to live in los filas and there's a scientology uh there's a scientology media productions lot that is a backlot where they make <laughs> movies and TV, I guess, um, that are for their Scientology channel. And so I, I did a fake lot life 
kind of that kind of hashtag blessed hashtag. And uh, I get a lot of concerned phone calls. From people <laughs> yeah, being like, like, Are you know, okay? we, we have an episode this season of just getting by with Mariella, our mutual friend of many years that we love to death. Who I love and, so much. Um, and she told me you had a show that got picked up. And then I saw the Scientology post and I was like, I need some answers. <laughs> that is very fair. Um, yes, thankfully, uh, no, I mean he's a comedian. No, I was making, I was trying to make it funny. Um, <laughs> Succeeded. Where is Shelley Miscavige? We want to know. <laughs> um, I just hope she's happy. You ever think about leaving it all? All the time. I mean, that's like the fantasy of all fantasies. We literally were just talking about this in. Uh, in the writers' room I'm in right now, we just were having the conversation of like, what would you do if you didn't do this? And like, we all got very wistful about like, ah, I'd open a restaurant or I'd move <laughs> back. For me, it's like I would. The for me, it's always about money, not in a like greedy. I want more of it way, uh, but in a what it is to be middle class in Los Angeles, being from Cleveland is like you would live like a king and like you would, I would never have to work again. Mm -hmm. And I could like to just tend bar and like talk to friends and like make weird outsider art and like, you know, whatever. And like live a full life um, without that specter of, you know, bills and stuff. And so I, I, for me, the fantasy is always about the freedom that would come with that. Cause you know, we, both me and my partner are, uh, my girlfriend, partner, home compatriot, uh, our TV writers and producers. And, you know, it's stressful to have a mortgage and to uh, be like, I hope I get another job because I need one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because you, the house that we bought is based on the income that we've had. And if we, if that goes away, <laughs> like, that's how it works. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's so it's, uh, it's, 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 look world's tiniest violin champagne problems it's great but yeah there are times where it's like ah, i miss like i literally like did sex work to help pay my way through college and sometimes i look back and i'm like ah those, were the, those <laughs> were the days when i would go to a weirdo's apartment on the upper west side and come back home with a wad of cash <sighs> to live right mm -hmm. i've heard of it I've heard of it. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, do, you do what you do. Absolutely. What would you go back and tell yourself as a teenager? You're good. Like, I tried so hard to be anything but what I was. I tried so hard to be straight, and then I tried so hard to figure out if I... I, I would have just, like, I would have explained coming out as a bisexual person to him. I would have explained that, like, it's... When you come out as a gay person, I'm, I'm, I'm now bi-splaining to, to, to gay men. Uh, but uh, when you go as a gay person, it's kind of a, you know, th there's gray areas, but there's a little bit of a binary, like, my friends who have done it explain that it, they're like, oh, just as soon as I, there was a weight that comes off where you're like, oh, this is what it is. Um, and when you come out as a bi person, it's, you know, you're, you're straight because you're conditioned to be straight and you're, that's the default or whatever in our society. And then one day you 
are watching Pearl Harbor with your friends in junior high and everybody's talking about how Kate Beckinsale is and you realize you've been looking at Josh Hartnett. Hartnett. Uh, and then mm. and then you're like, oh, wait, what does that mean? And you're like, I don't want to think about what that means. So you don't. And then you're at a sleepover and somebody puts on like Skinamax late at night and everybody goes to like different corners of the room to like jerk off. And everybody's watching the TV to look at boobs and you're like trying to sneak a peek at everybody else's dicks. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, so am I gay? And then you're like, I guess I'm gay. But then you like go down on your high school girlfriend. And you're like, nope, that really works for me. I love that. And then you go to your gay friends and you're like, oh, you know that thing where you're like probably gay, but you really like eating pussy. And your gay friends are like, no, I decidedly don't know that thing. <laughs> and then you go back and forth on these things forever. And so like coming out as bisexual is never getting an answer to the question and eventually realizing that the question itself is bullshit. And that the answer is to throw up your hands and just be like, yep. And I wish, so I would have told younger me, like, it's never going to, you're never going to get the sky parting easy answer. You're always going to have another question. And it's sort of like my relationship with my girlfriend now is like kind of always moving and changing. And in a similar way, it feels kind of like learning to embrace that moving, the moving nature of that target is is the answer the answer is no answer right um and so i would have that's what i would have told younger me i think i would have had an easier 16 to 24 awesome is there anything else you can tell us about your tnt show do we have a name of it yet it's called queer habits um and it's it's early stages still it's early stages we're in the piloting process so it's uh Watch this space. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's very early stages, uh, but it's uh, uh, Marta Kaufman who created Friends and Grace and Frankie mm-hmm. is is the is the, the producer of it, um, who and she's wonderful and brilliant and a great partner um, to work with. Um, and then right now I'm working on a show called Love Life, which uh, will be coming sometime next year, starring Anna Kendrick. Um, that is a very fun new version of a sort of look at romance uh in in new york i know there's never been a show about romance in new york but we're going to try to break that new ground um but no i think it's going to be really good and that's for uh warner brothers upcoming streaming service nice my uncle's gonna flip his shit when he hears anna kendrick's gonna be on tv he loves him some anna kendrick oh my gosh i love her he watches pitch perfect every time it's on cable she (laughs) is a delight she's incredible um yeah so that's that's early stages of that too but that's we're in a writer's room all right we like some teasers that's good awesome well, thank you so much for making the time to come out thank here. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was so fun. It's so good to see you guys I again. Know. It's been a while. The NYU days, yeah. the New York days. Absolutely. Um, um, we're very happy for you. Oh, You're making good stuff. Thank you so much. Um, Changing minds. Trying to. Oh, and watch Dear White People. I don't know when this is going to come out, but watch Dear White People season three so we could potentially make a season four. Or, sorry, volume three so we can potentially make a volume four. Yeah, love dear white people. Cool. All right. Thanks. Thank you guys.